Hi, everybody. What's happening? Good morning. Welcome to New Hope Community Church. I'd like to invite you to uh, walk across your living room or uh, maybe your office and uh, get that Bible off the shelf. If you were kind of on the, on the fence, ah, should I get the Bible off the shelf today or am I going to be all right? No, we're going to be preaching from the Bible today, so it's probably a good idea for you to have one in your hands. And I will say it's always better to have a physical Bible in your hand than your phone because, frankly, I think I spend enough time on my phone uh, during the week. I don't need it uh, on Sunday morning. So uh, <clears throat> Romans 5, um, we're going to be focusing on uh, verses 6 through 11 here. But um, we're actually going to back up. We'll get a running start at it and start at verse 1. If you want a fantastic sermon, by the way, on uh, on Romans 5, 1 through uh, 5, uh, check out the Father's Day sermon from a few years ago. I think it was was 2018. I might be wrong. But a few years ago, uh, our our elder Brian Wagner uh, brought the thunder that morning on on those verses. Uh, Definitely check it out. But here we are today. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though Perhaps for a good person, one might dare to die. But, but, but God, He shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were, if, uh, while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. And more than that, we also rejoice. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation, the Word of God. So that's the title of the sermon today. The the title of the sermon today is simply Reconciliation. The word reconciliation, it's the Greek word katalage, and and it could be said it's a financial term, right? Implying the settling of accounts. Um, I give you a thing, and you give me money for the thing, and we agree that our things are reconciled. Thing is, anyone who has ever been in debt knows that it carries some weight with it. Uh, My family has recently had the privilege of purchasing a sharp new Chrysler Voyager minivan. I know. Aren't you the jealous one? I I don't regret the purchase. We bought it because we felt that it was the kind of vehicle that a family with two boys should have, 
and there's plenty of room with, you know, for book bags and sports equipment and, and, and extra seats for friends. And, and once COVID is over, our hope is to, to jump back into community involvement. And despite the part of me that was in painful agony over selling my pickup truck um, to get this van, I still think it was the right thing to do. It's actually a lot of fun to drive. Still, there I was, sitting in that financial office, going over how we were going to pay for this thing, and I felt that weight of taking on how debt feels. And one day, when we finally get the word that this thing is completely paid off, that the accounts have been reconciled, I'm sure that I'm, I'll sense a, a freedom. So, <clears throat> this morning... We're, we're continuing our series, In the Shelter, a series that encourages us to do hard, scary things. Uh, last week, we were privileged to hear from Eric and Ginny Becker from Sparrow Ministries. And what we heard from them, we, we heard them challenge uh, those of us who are married, uh, and maybe those of us who want to one day be buried, or, or um, any, maybe those of us who are just uh, friends you know, and love people who are married, that he, he challenges us to build into the soul of our marriages. Remember, if you're married, your marriage is a signpost that God uses uh, to, to point us to new creation. The last image that we get in the Bible, right, is not of a bunch of Christians leaving this world and flying away to heaven. No, it's, it's actually the image of heaven coming down to earth and God setting up his rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. We see a new heaven and a new earth united. What we see is cosmic reconciliation. In Ephesians, Paul says this about Jesus. He says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which we set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to, get this, unite all things, not some things, to unite all things, Ephesians says, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You see, God is about the business of reconciling this world back to himself. Our responsibility of Christians, then, is to model reconciliation in all its variety for a watching world. Our marriages, for instance, are supposed to be signposts pointing to that new creation. Two people entering a covenant partnership, intimately becoming one, submitting to each other in sacrificial love being faithful to each other in front of a world that tends to do other things with love. That's why marriage matters, because it's a picture of what is to come in glory. The same should be said about the church, though. The church, a Jew plus Gentile, multiracial, multicultural, international community movement of Jesus followers, this church, this ecclesia, this gathering, this assembly is supposed to be pointing us towards the cosmic reconciliation of all things. The church should be on the front lines of racial reconciliation. Dr. King's dream should be most visible in the church of Jesus Christ. 
The work towards our communion table, of, of reflecting the great supper of the Lamb where every nation and tribe and people group will be gathered. Our church is called to anticipate that now. <clears throat> Thing is, all that stuff, it does begin with the individual. And that's what I want to talk about today. So what's the hard, scary stuff that we're looking at today? You might say it's our own internal brokenness or the condition of the human heart. I mean, you read that. I remember, I remember when we preached through the Sermon on the Mount a couple of years ago or I don't know, whatever, that was a year ago or a year, two years ago, whatever it was. Um, again and again and again, I found the point of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, the point of the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus asking, I want your heart. How's your heart? The truth is that the world is a broken place. And that brokenness, unfortunately, it, it begins with the individual. It begins with me. And we call that brokenness a specific word. We call it sin. A word which means to miss the mark. When we sin, we miss the mark of God's holy charter for our lives. Sin has infected our humanity <clears throat> like a virus. It begins with a simple rebellion, the breaking of a rule, don't eat that fruit, or maybe a, a white lie, and then it grows quickly to manifest, it in self, manifest itself in ways where the next thing you know, brother is against brother hurting each other, killing each other, and then it spreads widely across the, the globe, and eventually it gets so ingrained in our culture and in our lives that it infects our very systems of how we do things to the point that we begin to believe that, that we're actually God. That's the story, by the way, of Genesis 3 through 11. Everything from Adam and Eve and their simple rebellion to the Tower of Babel. The story of a humanity that was created to have unity with God, that's Genesis 1 and 2, but instead settled for the cheap imitation of their own glory, that's Genesis 3 through 11. Friends, it would, it would be wrong of me not to be as clear as I possibly can in regards to human sin. And the clearest way that I can think to say it is this. God is not okay with our sin. He's not okay with my sin, and he's not okay with your sin. The truth is, the hard, scary truth is that there are consequences to our actions. Sin has consequences. Not only does it dishonor God, it hurts us. It hurts the sinner, and it hurts those we sin against. And perhaps worst of all, it prevents us from living the life that God designed us to lead. He's not okay with our addictions. He's not okay with our greed. He's not okay with our selfishness or our laziness or our gluttony. Next week, T.D. Allen's going to come and he's going to preach on, on physicality, on, on, on uh, living uh, to the, your life to the glory of God with your physical body. God's not okay with the way that we celebrate pride, the way that we thumb our nose towards humility. He's not okay with the way that we sometimes treat each other on social media. He's not okay with our continued habits of putting lesser things on the throne than Him. 
what that is called when we put something else on the throne where God's should be. That's called idolatry. And it is the most fundamental sin of all because it places our identity and therefore our hope in something other than our sovereign God. Something other than our sovereign creator. Earlier in the first chapter of Romans, which is a tough chapter to begin a masterpiece of theology like Romans, um, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men by, uh, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then down in, uh, in verse 28, chapter 1, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, um, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. You guys are coming up with new ways to sin, Paul says. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Tell me how you really feel, Paul. Though, uh, though they know God's righteous decree, Paul says, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. We're egging people on to sin. No, that is not an easy passage. And let me say this clearly. When we bring up human sin, and when we bring it up in, in the church, it's not to shame like those of you who sin. No, it's, it's to describe the truth that that none of us are perfect. All of us have to do the hard, scary thing of looking at the condition of our own heart. And with that, forgive me, I'm, I'm going to go down the path of theology just for, just for a few moments here. I promise I'm, I'm going to bring it back to earth in, in just a few moments. But um, in Romans 2, Paul, Paul says that, um, that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, meaning sin. And, and later in Romans 6.23, he still makes it clear that, that the wages of sin is death and that all have sinned and fallen short of the God's, God's glory. There is not one of us who is righteous because, because the virus of sin has affected us to the point um, that we are being enslaved by it. We're born into it. It's what theologians have, have commonly called total depravity. Um, although, actually, some people would want to push back on that, um, uh, that term, total depravity, and, and they would say uh, that, 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 well, you know, maybe dis describing it as being totally depraved isn't quite right. And, and instead, um, some of them opt for the phrase uh, radical corruption. I've appreciated R.C. Sproul's words on this. Uh, he says, perhaps a better term for the, the doctrine of total depravity would be radical corruption. The word radical derives from the Latin radix, which means root. Uh, to say that mankind or humanity is radically corrupt is to say that sin, it penetrates the root or, or core of our being. Sin is not tangential or peripheral, but arises from the center of our being. It flows from what the Bible calls the heart which does not refer to the muscle that pumps blood throughout our bodies, but, but to our core, the core of our being. Even the word core derives from the Latin word meaning heart. So what's the point? 
It's that sin hasn't totally corrupted us or totally, we're not totally depraved. There are still things about us that are good. We were created in the image and likeness of God. We have the ability to love and, and to be loved. We have an internal sense of right and wrong. We can sense injustice and in humility. We can work to make this world a better place. The, the point is not that every bit of our being is of a deprived nature. The point is that this virus, this virus of sin has affected us to the core of our very being, and that needs to be dealt with. I don't know about you, but I actually didn't need a theology textbook to tell me that. And in Romans, Paul makes it clear that sin has consequences. And that the consequences of sin is death. The reason why the consequences of sin is death is because our God is holy. You see, holiness is one of the most important things that a Christian can be thinking about. Um, because God is incapable of being anything else. You've heard it asked before whether God could build a rock so big that even he couldn't move it. No, no, God cannot build a rock so big that even he couldn't move it because such a thing would be outside the sphere of his holiness and therefore not possible. But the good news is that if that's true, that that God really is holy, then, then that means some other stuff too. First, assuming that God is holy, then that means that his actions are holy and that it was holy for God to create you and me. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how in the grand scheme of things, in the narrative of all things that are, it was preordained since the beginning of time that there would be you? Now, if it was holy for God to create you and I, and you and I have been corrupted to the core of our of, of, to our core by sin, would that mean that God created sin? No. It would only mean that God, in His holiness, gave us free will. He gave us the freedom to choose whether we're going to follow Him in love, and that freedom also allowed us to rebel. The story of the Bible is the story of a humanity who has rebelled and a God who is in relentless pursuit of the people he loves so much. The problem is that sin, it created a deficit, a debt that needs to be paid, a situation that needs to be reconciled. The wages, the consequences of sin is death. No way around that. So what did our loving, holy, righteous God He created a rescue mission to save the world. And he called it Israel. And promised that through this one family, he was going to somehow bless the entire world. And Jesus comes on the scene about 2,000 years ago as Israel's representative Messiah. The anointed one, the prophet, the priest, the one true king from the bloodline of David who announces that the kingdom of God is about to be made manifest in his arrival. Heaven and earth are about to start crashing into one another. Miracles are performed. Demons are exercised. The law is interpreted with the authority by Jesus around the rule of love. And it is even discovered that Jesus was actually the incarnation of Yahweh himself, God in the flesh. 
A movement is created unlike anything Israel had ever seen before, and it looks like all hope is now centered in this person of Jesus. Jesus, who is about to show the, Jesus is about to show the world what true power looks like. He's about to show the world what holiness looks like. And then he does the most unexpected thing imaginable. Knowing that the consequence of sin is death, Jesus, the sinless one, the holy one, Israel's Messiah, goes to the cross and is crucified by the empire to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid the price. That, that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 5 when he discusses reconciliation. Because cosmic reconciliation, the reconciliation of all things, the uniting of all things, it begins with the individual. Paul says, while we, you and I, while we were still weak, weak, helpless, still in our chains to sin, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But, but God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we had no hope of doing this on our own, Christ died for us. Friends, hear me on this. God loves you. He literally loves you to death. And the reason why he points out your sin isn't because he's a perfectionist or because his bar is too high. It's because sin hurts you. And it keeps you from living the life that he created you to lead. So he went to the cross. Not because you earned his love, but because you've always had his love. He went to the cross to pay the penalty of death and to erase that deficit. Do you believe that today? I mean, is that just... Is that just religious words? Or have you allowed those words, the, the, the truth of redemption and, and restoration, have you allowed that truth to permeate your life? Are you willing to say, maybe for the first time this morning, or maybe once again, in rededication after years of, of following Jesus, and you say, you know what, today I need, I need to, I need to rededicate my life to Christ today. Or maybe this was the first time that, that Jesus is Lord. And he saved me from my sin. Paul goes on. Since, therefore, we have been justified. Justified means declared righteous. Since we've been justified, declared righteous by his blood, much more, much more, Shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For while we were enemies, we were reconciled. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, now that the accounts have been settled, shall we be saved by his life? Oh, because here's the thing the consequences of sin was indeed death, and Jesus paid to show us how much he loves us. Jesus was dead. Make no mistake about that. Thing is, he didn't stay dead. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for our sins. He defeated death itself. And now, in his resurrection, he offers us a new and abundant life. 
Paul says it in, in 2 Corinthians. He says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, new creature. Old things have passed away. Here's the point, folks. No matter what sin is in your past, regardless of what is back there, I know we, 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 sometimes we want to say, God, you don't know how much I've hurt people. You don't know how much I've been hurt. You don't know how bad things have been. And, and, and God says, yes, I do. It's why I went to the cross. I know more about you than you know. No matter what sin is in your past, there is nothing that our God cannot redeem. God loves you so much. Of course he'd be furious with your sin. Sin corrupts the people that he loves and it keeps us from eternal life with him. If God wasn't furious with human sin, he'd be a bad God. As it turns out, though, our God is a holy God. One who is so holy and so loving that he atones for our sin while we are still sinners by the death on the cross. That word atonement, that's another heavy theological word that gets tossed about. You know what atonement means? It means at oneness. At oneness. As Paul looks back in Romans 5.11, he says, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are pointing towards cosmic reconciliation, the cosmic reconciliation of all things. Reconciliation, the end of hostilities, the end of alienation from God. Being reconciled to God, we have received forgiveness. We have been redeemed. We have been declared righteous. And we have been put on the path to sanctification by the, by the Holy Spirit, by God's Holy Spirit. Once we declare ourselves a Jesus follower, once we, we claim Him as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, it begins to do a work in us. He begins. The Holy Spirit, He begins to do a work in us. Our sin is still there because the evil one, He continues to lie to us that we're still in our chains. It's like God opened the door to our cage and says, come on out, come on out. But the evil one, He keeps wanting to lie to us and tell us that we're still in these chains. But the victory has been won. The church... The church of Jesus Christ exists to remind each other that we are set free and we don't have to live like we are in chains any longer. We're no longer identified. We no longer have our identity as sinners. Now our identity is in Christ. In Christ we find our identity in Him. As Scripture says, um, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it further, it, it says that, that we can be confident that he, the one who began a good work in you and me and us, He's going to carry it on through to completion. All the way to the day of Jesus Christ, when He comes back up, uh, when He comes back, to, to set up that cosmic reconciliation once and for all. That's, that's Philippians 1.6. Friends, the point today, the, the, the in the shelter statement today, is that there is nothing else worth your ultimate allegiance 
today, like the love, sovereignty, redemption, and reconciliation of Jesus Christ. He desires abundant life for you. He desires a resurrection life for you. He desires a salvation life for you. He desires that his community, his, his, his church would gather together because it begins with the individual, but it certainly doesn't end there. He calls us and he says, you know what, this never was. It begins with, a social, with, with the individual, but this never was a solo sport, right? He's calling us to do it in community. He's calling us to gather as a church, as a house church, or, or as, a, as, as a larger New Hope Community Church, and of course, as the ecclesia, the worldwide ecclesia of God. He's calling us to gather and to do this together and and to model reconciliation for that watching world. He wants abundant life for you. He wants healing for you. He wants to take you under the shelter of his wings. And he says, together, you and I, we're going to do the hard, scary stuff that anticipates the new creation which has already begun in you. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this, um, for this word. Sometimes, it, um, <laughs> sometimes scripture itself can be the hard, scary stuff. Because we read these words and, ooh, that's, that's, that's not just the, the God is love part of the Bible. That, that's, that's some hard stuff. Lord, help us to do that business. Help us to do the business that you would, you would be calling us to do as we consider this redemption that is necessary, this atonement, this at-oneness, this reconciling message that you are offering us today freely, not because of anything that we've done to deserve it, but because of how much you love us. It is by grace that we have been saved. So we respond to the grace that we have received, the loving gift that you have given us by paying the price for our sin. We respond in faith. We respond by a faith that looks like something, a a, a faith that looks like the modeling of reconciliation to a watching world. And we go to our brothers, which we have harmed, and we say, I'm sorry. And we go to our family, and we say, how can I do better? We go to our bosses, and we say, I know I dropped the ball here. How, How can I make tomorrow a better day than yesterday? We own our sin, and then we look to God for redemption and reconciliation. And we trust that in Him, He's going to work it all together. He's going to work all things together for those who love Him. Lord, we love You so much. We are so grateful for what You're doing in our midst. Lord, uh, help us to be the people. Help me be the man that You want me to be. Help us to be the community that You'd want us to be. In the most holy name, Of Jesus Christ, I pray.